Father, we do lift up this time. Thank you, God. Thank you for this time. And I do pray that, God, it would be fruitful in our lives, that, Lord, it wouldn't just be myself and Pastor Mike giving answers, but it would be you meeting the needs of your people here tonight and giving them clarity and, and their walk with you. So I do pray you would bless this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Mike, you want to come up and join us? And here you can have some coffee, sort of. <laughs> yeah, so, oh look, he's doing it. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Woo, so anyway, hey, so Q&A, uh, some people can text things in, you cannot text things in. We didn't put the number in here because some of you sit in your seat and send us a text. What is that? So if you want to ask a question, raise your hand, we'll call on you, and then uh, we'll, you'll ask a question, we'll repeat it through the microphone so the people online can hear it. So let's go. Who's first? Over here. Behind you, behind you, Mose, and then we'll get you. Okay, okay, Mose, you're first. So which blessing do you think is more powerful, the, the blessing of returning to the Lord from sin or the blessing of just being sustained by the Lord on a daily basis? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, good question. Um, you know, I, is, is his mic on? No. Is it? Maybe? No. It's possible. Oh. No? I'm good. Oh, here, let me help you. Yeah. Your mic's not, you didn't even turn it on. Sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to. <laughs> Just a second. Okay, now you're on. Okay. Okay, so uh, which blessing is, is um, well, you know, it, you, know there, you think of the, the angels, you know, that, that rejoice when one sinner turns. Think of Jesus that, um, you know, in, the, about leaving the, the 99 for, for seeking the one. But then at the same time, um, when you think about the work of sanctification in our lives, you know, and, and the ongoing process that it is, in a way, even through the ups and the downs, it's a, a for some of us, it's a much longer uh, blessing that goes throughout our lives, which is greater. I don't know. I think it, I, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of in the moment. So when I'm returning to the Lord from sin, it's a tremendous blessing, and in that moment, it's a blessing. And then if I'm blessed walking a path and doing a good thing in that moment, so I'm not sure you could weigh one over the other. Does that make sense, Mose? I think, I think it's the moment, whatever blessing you're in is a great blessing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Hope that helped. Okay, Ricky. <laughs> When does eternal, oh, good. Wow. When does eternal life begin? I think eternal life technically begins when you're born again. Actually, probably when you're born. Everybody has eternal life. Some life with the Lord and others have eternal life of damnation. So, but I think what you're asking, I think our eternal life begins when we're born again. But I believe when you die, you go into the presence of the Lord, I think is what you're kind of getting at. So when a person dies, their spirit goes directly into the presence of the Lord. Paul says in uh, uh, Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I know then later on in Thessalonians, it says then uh, we will be resurrected. And so then our bodies will then be joined with our spirit. If you die before the rapture, you go into the presence of the Lord, obviously your body's still here, right? Most of us understand that. But we're in his presence. Then at the resurrection, we're reunited and we get that new body, new body emphasis, right? And so, so uh, but I think, I think you go when you die, you're in the presence of the Lord. Mike? Yeah, yeah the only thing I would add is um, in Jesus' prayer in uh, John 17, where he said to... Um, 
Eternal life is to know uh, you and, and to know, um, you know, the one whom you said. I, I think about that because, I think about that a lot, actually, because I heard it said like this um, by a theologian, John Frame, who said that uh, to know God is covenant friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, it just always stuck with me, you know, to think that um, eternal life um, is friendship even happening now. Okay, good. So is Jesus coming back in the flesh when he comes back the second time? And if so, uh, scripture to back that. Mike? Pastor Mike. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes. He is. Yes, he is coming in the flesh. Yes. Um, Matthew 25. (laughs) Here we're both scrambling. get it? Mm. So it says when he comes with his holy angels, is that what you're talking about, Lindsay? Yeah. I, like, I, I just want to know where I see it. Well, there is uh, 24 verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send his angels with a great trumpet a sound of trumpet, and they will gather together the elect from the four uh, winds from one end of heaven to the other. I mean, I guess it doesn't say the exact words he will come in the I flesh. don't think, yeah, I don't think it ever says the exact words, yeah. but the implication is he will come, and then in Zechariah, he'll put his foot on the Mount of Olives, so he would have to be flesh to do yeah. that. And I don't think it's going to be some big giant foot you know, I think he's going to come in his size. Uh, th- otherwise, it wouldn't be a miracle, right? I mean, if some giant foot came out of heaven, we would, but I think it's normal. But, uh, and then it says when he returns with his holy angels with great glory, not great glory, but great glory. So uh, <laughs> that's a little joke. That's a Calvary joke. So anyway, so uh, yeah, I don't think it says just specifically Yes, and he's going to rule and reign because it says he's going to sit on the throne of David. So, uh, if I could just add one thing too, Uh, Son of Man refers to his humanity too. Mm -hmm. So, oh, Pam. Yeah. So John three thirteen, <laughs> uh, no one has ascended into heaven, but or no one has descended. And so, when Lazarus died, was he in heaven? And if so, how do you how do you justify the verse? I don't know. I don't know if he was in heaven. Uh, that's not clear. I do think that if he was in heaven and Jesus brought him back, I think he'd be pretty torqued. Right, I mean, if you're like, if you're in the presence of God enjoying heaven and all of a sudden you're back here with everybody, that would be quite the bummer, right? But I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, that's a good question. Maybe the pastor from France knows. <laughs> well, um, no, I couldn't answer better than that. Uh, you taught of the passage, it was great. But this, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Did, I'm sure that cleared it right up for you, right?
So uh, Abraham's bosom, heaven, going, going there versus heaven now, go. Right, some of us believe that there's a, Abraham's bosom is what you're talking about out of Luke chapter 11, I think it is, and the rich man and Lazarus, and they both died and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, the rich man went to Sheol, or the place of the dead, and uh, I, believe, I believe that's where people went prior to Jesus resurrecting. And then it says in Ephesians that he descended to the lower earthly regions to set captivity free. I don't think that captivity were people who were held for eternal punishment, I think that was those who were waiting in Abraham's bosom and then he took them to heaven. Some people say that's not. I don't know where Mike is. This might be an area we disagree. Some people say there's not that difference, that they weren't in that bosom. Paradise is paradise, is heaven, and that's okay too, but I believe what you're talking about there, Abraham's bosom, is the place of the dead prior to the resurrection, so. Yeah, I agree with you too. The only thing I would add is, um, is in Isaiah 6, uh, there's a, a moment where the, the prophet sees the, like, the throne room. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was in existence, you know. Right, right. Heaven was in existence, yeah. yeah. People just didn't go, I don't think, until Jesus led them. Jesus had to be the first to ascend into yeah. heaven. Is there different levels of heaven? The Bible describes an upper room, uh, first heaven, second heaven. How do you, how do you describe that? Well, it's we ha I, I, I kind of need to, to know specifically what what scriptures you're talking about there, because there's um, I mean depending on what what passage you're talking about, it's it's not. I guess I'm not totally tracking with you. I'm sorry. I think are you talking about Paul being caught up to the third heaven? No, that's no. that's something different. That's just that's just a room. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, but that's okay. But are you talking about Paul being caught up? Okay. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. And so, and so I'm really sorry. What was the question? <laughs> different <laughs> levels. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Uh, are you lost? There's, I'm, I'm lost. I'm going to help you. I'll, please I'll do, yes. Okay, so Paul got caught up to the third heaven, meaning we live and we have our atmosphere around us where jet planes and the clouds and everything, that's one level. And then we have space, right, where we shoot into outer space and the planets, and that's the second heaven. And the third heaven, then, is the dwelling of God that Paul got caught up to. So it's not different levels, it's it's... Him explaining it wasn't this atmosphere and it wasn't the, the universe that we know, it was beyond that. Does that clear the foot? Okay. Yes. If, if I could add one thing. Yeah. Is, uh, um, I was just thinking about at, you know, the, the New Jerusalem mm -hmm. and um, at the end times, in the very, very end, you know, where God walks with man, you know, and you know, there is no more temple. And, and um, I think that's, that's what... Um, tripped me up in the question is um, is in the end, you know, where we're eventually going right. is, is a place of just, you know, not necessarily up outer space so much where we'll be walking in with God again. In the presence of, God, the presence of God. Hanging out. Yeah. yeah. A new creation kind of. Mm. Yeah. Good. Fred? He wasn't an apostle. Luke wrote the gospel, but he was never an apostle. And he, oh, I'm sorry, you need to repeat the question. <laughs> it's a bit late. Um, was Luke the only apostle that was not a Jew? Right. I mean, that's a good question. I think you're confusing a little bit. So he wasn't a Jew, definitely, and he's the only writer of a New Testament book that's not a Jew. 
that became a Christian. So you're on the right track. But he was not an apostle. He didn't come on the scene till Paul. So, yep, that's fine. I'm sorry, sir, you cannot ask any more questions. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. So, especially in the context of Mormonism, how do you how do you discuss especially that verse? Uh, what verse was that? John fourteen twenty eight. John fourteen twenty eight, where the uh, where Jesus says the Father is greater than I, and, and the the context there. Okay, well, um, okay, so it, it, okay in regards to the the, the Trinity and. And Mormonism. And Mormonism. And Mormonism. Okay. Um, well, um, I, I think um, I think context is the key, really. Uh, you know, for this this particular verse, you know, the context isn't um, the hierarchy of, you know, how do they see it? What three gods? Or yeah, it. it, it but the context here is, is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time when he's going to leave, and then he's going to. Um, send the the counselor and even within that in you know coded in the actual context in the actual words you have um hints that uh, of an equality of between jesus and the spirit you know i'll send another uh, helper you know the spirit of truth and um you know the the way that he talks about him and, and the way that that he um you know does and he teaches you know and, and he takes what's from mine and he gives it to you and and so it's, it, it's um, the context itself, without, um, without expanding outside of it, um, really doesn't speak about that particular, particular thing. If I was going to speak about the deity of Christ, for example, I'd go to Hebrews chapter 1, or I'd talk about uh, Colossians chapter 1. But um, I don't know. What would you say? Well, I think, you know, I think if a Mormon comes here and says that, Jesus is saying that you know he's less than God. That's not what he's saying. Number one, he's speaking as his incarnation, and right, he's on earth, he's incarnated. So at this point, the Father, he's saying, I'm going to the Father because he's greater than I. Doesn't mean that he's a superior being. It means that his position is greater as Jesus at that time, his position is his incarnation to come and die for our sins. So I, I, I understand where Mormons could take this and, you know, extrapolate their belief out of it. But again, what, you know, what Pastor Mike referred to as important context and the context that Jesus is here on the planet speaking to his disciples and letting them know he's got a mission. And his mission, if you read the rest of that, is to do the will of the Father. So I think in that context, the Father is greater than I. Does that help a little bit? Yes.
So in the context of Je- so in the context of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, in terms of the Trinity, how do you how do you especially in Scripture see that Jesus is not just someone that God gave the authority to, but you see as somebody who is God and equal with God? <laughs> okay. Um, for uh, I, we, we have a lot of um, interactions with Jehovah's Witnesses, and um, um, I think one of the things, three things that really helped me. One is knowing um, church history a little bit, knowing that um, their their great grandfather is the heretic Arius, who um, you know none, nothing that they're saying or, or promoting right now is is invented by them. You know, it's not like you know, sometimes they want to give the impression that they really know their Bible, but they don't. They know certain verses in certain places, and they're very well trained at arguing, and so they're, they're good at debating you at one particular place, you know? So for me, it really helped knowing that, um, you know, Arius was condemned by the church um, as a heretic by the... Um, was the the Council of Constantinople? Is that right? Or Nicene Creed? There we go. Um, and so, uh, anyway, it, we're dealing with really old heresies here. And so that was one thing that, that helped me. Um, so that what what that did for me is give me a lot of the confidence to know that you know we're really we're arguing from a position of power in a way and in a position of. Um, you know, nothing's changed no matter what they say, you know, or, or, or the, the type of arguments or the way that they go. Um, they're the ones that have changed. And they're the ones that have the real um, burden of, of proof, something that they never really can do without twisting the scriptures or writing their own scriptures, which both of which they do. So um, what I like to do what I like to do is I just like not to talk to them. But what I, <laughs> what I find myself doing is getting away from the verses that they like to argue on because they know them just in and out and um, present other verses that I know they haven't thought about. And, and then lastly, I would say uh, just a little bit of Greek helps, you know, because John 1.1, knowing that in Greek, in the way they like to translate it, um, is one of the basic Greek mistakes when they do in the beginning was the word and the word was a God. You know, that's, it's impossible in Greek, glam- Greek grammar the way they do that. So, I don't know, just little things like that help me. Sorry. I think another thing to do, what, what I've done when they do this, they pull, they, right now they love to pull this thing, he's a little God mm-hmm. because it's a little G. And I'm thinking... A little G, so so you don't capitalize a G, and that makes all the difference. That's kind of, to me. That's just weird to say that. And then secondly, they say we're heretics because we believe there's three persons in one God, and they say no, there's only one God, but they have three. Well, at least two gods because they say the spirit's just a force, but they say there's God Jehovah and then little G God Jesus. And I go, so you have two gods, so you got a bigger problem than I do, so go solve that and then come back and talk to me because I only have one god. So, yeah, you know, you're going to go around and around, and I think what Pastor Mike was saying, take them away from their favorite verses and take them to some others. When we went through John chapter 2, that's a good verse to take them to. Okay? Oh, we got it. Here we go. Gaynell? Okay. You can't answer that because you don't know it. Suddenly I'm worried. <laughs> Bye. I'm going to go back. No, <laughs> no please don't. <laughs> oh. I'm not a big person on numerology, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
All right. So, so for for online, oh, for online, for, for online, she asked if there was a big symbol symbology in the number forty, um, and could you explain in layman's terms what numerology is? Sorry, um, in the Old Testament. So you know, um, yeah, um, I, I'm not. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say that there's coincidences in the word, which I don't believe. I believe that every word is inspired. You know, Jesus said, you know, that not even one, you know, little tittle from will, will fall from the law. You know, I, I you know, I, I agree with that 100%. And I believe that everything that's written is meant to be written. But um, I do find that there is a trap in um, looking closely and noticing little um, little things like numbers that, that are repeated often um, because well not not because they you know they're numbers and that leads to you know I don't know I'm not trying I know I wouldn't think that you would be somebody that'd be into Kabbalah which is a Jewish um, <laughs> uh, sect of that goes into numbers and um, and the study of numbers and kind of a religion of numbers um, and, and words and letters and things like that. But mostly because Paul kind of warned us against those kinds of things mm -hmm. in um, First Timothy, right? <laughs> you know, it's talking about avoiding those uh, uh, mindless um, arguments. Uh, debates, arguments, yeah. And so that's, that's where I find that sometimes that leads. Whereas the beauty of the story of, you know, Moses going up, you know, for 40 days and, and what happened, you know, during all that time, I find it's far more powerful than, than the actual number itself. And I think you were saying, uh, maybe define numerology for listeners. Numerology is basically putting great emphasis on repeated numbers. And then to me, and this is because I'm a simple guy. And, uh, you know, if you have to have a code to break, I'm probably not smart enough to break it. And uh, then I would feel I'm missing out on something because God wrote it in code. And I don't, I don't think our God communicates that way. I think he wants to communicate openly and freely to us. And so that's me. I'm not saying everybody, there's a lot of guys, read Chuck Missler if you want to get into it. And uh, he's like numerology to the nth degree. So if you want to, and, and I'm not saying he's wrong, that's just not who I am, or sounds like who Pastor Mike is. So I'm glad we could help you and both of us give you the same answer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's what I'm, and we did not discuss it ahead of time. <laughs> so, okay. So how can, you, how can you take a look at multiple different kinds of manuscripts, some that might disagree, and how can you reconcile that, especially with people like us who don't necessarily know the original language? How do we know we can trust it? What can we go to? You can <laughs> well, I can go. I, I think I can go. I think I'm not sure if you're distinguishing between some things that we call the apocrypha or mm. pseudepigrapha that are false writings or different writings or if you're talking about a different version or translation of the Bible. Yeah, 
I think so, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he's looking at to say that. You know, I mean, in the Hebrew, it may have more volume than it does in the English, but I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about. But I do know that once again, you know, kind of getting back to the thing, God wants to communicate with us. And so we have what we have in the English and the, in the major versions, translations that we have, I believe are the word of God and everything that he wants to give us. I don't have to know Hebrew to really understand Genesis because I don't know Hebrew. And again, then that would remove me from really understanding. In the dark ages, when we had what we called the dark ages, and I believe one reason they were dark was the church, the Catholic church at the time, took the Bible away from common man. And they said, only we can understand it. You have to come to us to get understanding. Hence, dark. I don't believe God intended that. God cares about the common man. So when we start with stuff like that, well, if you don't know this, you really can't understand Genesis. You just told me I can't understand Genesis. So my reaction, because of me, I would say, then why even try? So I believe what we have is entirely what God wants to communicate with us. Does that help? Can I add yeah. a little bit to, to kind of what you were talking about, with textual criticism? Is, um, so the, the way that we have our, our Bibles today, in you know, our English versions, um, you know, because there have been manuscripts, you know, so many different, you know, and then speaking of the Old Testament, you know, you've got like the Dead Sea, you've got so many different things, you've got the Masoretic text, you know, you've got the, the Septuagint, all of these, you know, different times. Anyway, different sources. Well, you know, scientists for quite a while, and um, experts in, you know, these texts, they've been, you know, accumulating these things, especially the New Testament, where there's just thousands upon thousands of manuscripts, you know, little pieces here and there. And so, um, you know, their job generally is compiling all of these and then comparing each one. And so by doing this, you know, that's what you have, that becomes, if you will, the, the final text from which our Bibles are translated. But there's so many different manuscripts, you know, speaking especially of the New Testament, that they know within I don't know, what is it, 99 point something, you know, percent of, of what was originally written, just because you have, you know, different testimonies, if you will, written testimonies from, you know, just different places, different times. Uh, you also have the early church fathers, as they wrote letters to each other, they'd say, you know, they'd quote big portions of the Bible, and, you know, you get all of these things, and they match up so much that it just becomes so completely overwhelmingly obvious that that is exactly what it has to be. So, why do we have different translations in you know, English and any other language? Is sometimes it's theological, you know, is that it's somebody, there's some translations that are like the message, you know, that's, um, that was a great translation made by pretty much one guy, you know, and in, in it, you have a lot of his theological ideas behind it. You know, the New King James is taken from a, a set of, of texts, you know, and, and from there it's, but like the word choices, and I think I just read an article about, um, I forget, this new mainline denominational um, version that just came out where they made theological choices based on, you know, certain words. Anyway, um, that's sometimes why there are different translations. So I think, um, based on what you know, what Pastor Pad said, which is that the Word of God is open and is made to be communicated to the heart of of, of mankind, that um, you um, it, it doesn't really matter so much, you know, what translation you use, but it can be helpful to compare different translations. Yeah, I think. And, you know, along those lines, we were just in Israel, and we went to the museum of the book, and it has copies of the Dead Sea Scroll that was found, and especially the book of Isaiah, is almost word for word for what we have. Exactly. And this, these are old, old manuscripts, so we can trust, I, I guess I want us to know we can trust what we have, and we can know that it's sufficient 
to give us a revelation of who God is and, and that we have exactly what God wants us to have. So I hope that helps some. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, I, think, I think just what I told you about the Dead Sea Scroll, yeah. right? They found it, and it's almost word for word what we have in the English. Yeah. So there's a good, there's a good example. Yeah. And then what Pastor Mike said, there's like something like 24,000 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament that we have that we've used to uh, get the New Testament we have. So 24,000, and you can, uh, Josh McDowell in his book, it's great, he gives us, uh, it's called Evidence that Demands a Verdict. And in that, he gives us the difference like between uh, Homer's writing yeah. and how many manuscripts and the distance between the manuscripts and when we have the current thing. And, and anyway, look that up. I don't, I don't have it at the top of my head, but I do always remember 24,000 manuscripts. That's a lot. Like the closest to it is like 500 of like Plato, 500 of his manuscripts, and the earliest manuscript they have from when Plato was alive is like 250 years. With the New Testament, it's like 25 years. Big difference. So if that helps. And once again, if we go back and say you have to know Greek or you have to know Hebrew, that eliminates a whole bunch of us. And God doesn't want us in the dark. Somebody over here was raising, no? no. In the back. Uh, what, what is what, it? Was there a question to that? How can we sit on more than one throne? Could you just interpret that verse? Yeah, yeah I think Pastor Mike can real well. <laughs> well I would, <laughs> I mean, it, it, maybe it's literal, but I mean, it's kind of a figure. It's, it's kind of a figure of speech, isn't it? I mean. You know, um, because the throne is the seat of power, and, and then the whole the, the, the whole message is. Um, I mean, it's not really. A, uh, let's see, it's not really about the um, about thrones, really. You know, and it, it's talking about overcoming, and you know when when because there's other passages that say, um, you know, when Jesus ascended, you know, after you know, the victory, that he sat down at the right hand of God. And um, I, I find that if we become overly, um, I, and I don't want to use this term overly literal, but if, if you force a figure of speech to be something that it's not, um, you could find yourself in a contradiction. You could even find yourself saying, well, is he seated at the right hand of God or is he seated at the throne of the Father? And then, you know, and then would follow in with your question as well is, well, then are we all going to stand in line, each one sitting on the, you know, on Jesus' throne, or will there be a multiplication of thrones? You know what I mean? If, if you're forcing a metaphor. And I think he's also talking more about entering into that rest with, with the Lord. Like he sat down, when he finished his work, he entered into the rest of the Father, and we enter into that rest with him. So I think, you know, what Pastor Mike's saying, it's not literal like, Here's the Father sitting on his throne, then Jesus is on top of him, then we're on top of Jesus, and we're like on bunk beds. You know, I think he's talking about, again, that place of, that place of kind of completeness and rest mm. is what he's giving us assurance of. Does that help? Yeah. 
not really, but. No, oh, sorry. So 1 Thessalonians 4.13 references uh, those who are asleep in Christ. Uh, is, is that a literal, are they actually just asleep, or how do you interpret that verse? Okay, I, I interpret that as those who, those who have died, but he's talking about in that verse our body is still here. Mm-hmm. So when he talks about asleep, he's meaning in that sense. I don't believe there's this, some people teach soul sleep where, you sleep and you wait. Like if we die right now, we have to wait till he comes to get yeah. us. That's not what he's talking about. So in the Bible, sometimes sleep just means death, and it's used that way. And I, here what I think he's talking about is in 4.13, right? Do not be ignorant, those who have fallen asleep. I believe that those who died and rose again. So he's talking about that resurrection, what I'm talking about. So when you die, your spirit goes to heaven, your body's still here, and then when he comes, our bodies will be resurrected to a new body. I like to emphasize a new body because I'm not so happy with this one. Yeah, so a new body, and then we're reunited with our spirit. So does that help? I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. Okay. I totally missed that one, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, agree, with you. I agree 100% with what you said. Oh, yes. over here. Yes, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Genesis uh, chapter 7 and 2. And God found Noah take a seven clean uh, animal. Then after that, and, uh, two unclean animals. Question is, uh, why did God tell Noah unclean and take it to the so in Genesis chapter 7, the Lord specifically tells Noah to take clean and unclean animals. Uh, why does he specify both? Why not just clean? Well, and why does he say seven clean, clean mm. and two unclean? Because the Lord wanted us to eat pork. (laughs) (laughs) No, he didn't want us to eat pork. (laughs) Well, I think also where you're looking at why he would take more clean than unclean, because the clean ones could be sacrificed and eaten, the unclean ones wouldn't, so they they could go ahead and reproduce and not be in danger where... We're going to eat the clean ones. So they needed more to keep up with us chowing down on them. That's my interpretation of that. Does that help? No? Yeah. Well, it is kind of mysterious, isn't it, that he talks about clean and unclean before the law. Right. But we have to remember that Moses is writing this from Moses' perspective. Mm-hmm. And he's writing back into that time period. That's true. So I don't think when the Lord spoke to Noah, he said clean and unclean. Mm-hmm. I think he said take seven of that one, seven of that one, seven of that one, and two of that one. So I hope that. I know you're looking like I'm not communicating with you. Well, it actually communicated to me, actually. I never uh-huh. thought about it that way before. But yeah, you know, it's true. Knowing that, you know, Moses is the writer. Mm-hmm. Writing back into it, what happened in the past, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Sorry. We got time, maybe one more. Oh, Lindsay, okay, and then we'll get to you, Jose. Matthew 24, 28. You laughed first. You have to answer first. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. You've got your Bible. (laughs) 
Okay, so um, the famous carcass and eagles. Um, Matthew 24, 28. For whoever, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. Let me just read this. Therefore I say to you, because um, the reason why I, I, um, I just want to take a moment and just read the, the whole thing is because um, kind of like what Pastor Pat was saying about Moses writing backwards, you know, between the four Gospels, there's different perspectives. And so I just want to um, remind myself of where we are here. Oh, that's a fun one. You know, we taught through Matthew. You could get the teaching and go online and see how we developed that. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, my, first, my, my first thought with that is, because um, it's a reference. It's a reference um, to, it's an Isaiah, isn't it? Like and then, yeah, so what I would do, um, but I guess we don't have time. My first thought would be to go back to Ezekiel and Isaiah, see what they said, why were they were saying it, and then within the context of Matthew, why is he bringing it in here? That would be my first thought. And then listen to Pastor Pat's teachings to make sure that I got it on the right. <laughs> well, he's talking about the son of, he's talking about people saying, there he is, and then he says, but his lightning comes from the east to the west, uh, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be, for wherever there is car wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered. So just like I think what he's saying, the reality of where there's a carcass, there's going to be eagles to eat of it. So the Son of Man is surely going to come, okay. right? Because like it's kind of like when he told the uh, Pharisees, "Hey, you can look at this and understand what's going on." but yet you can't understand me. So I, here I think he's saying, just like we know that if we see eagles or buzzards floating around, there's a carcass. We know that the Son of Man is coming as the lightning is from the east to the west. Does that help? Okay, we got Jose, and then we have to stop. So how do you, uh, is there a reason why the apocryphal books aren't in our Bible, and why is that? Yeah. Mr. Higher Critic. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, there is, there's a reason. Um, and it's, I mean, so the, the canon and the canonization, you know, the New Testament, uh, it's, it's not like they just sat around one day and they like, you know, said, hey, what books do you like? You know, and then, you know, <laughs> I like this one. I don't like Joshua. Throw that up. But it, it's kind of like, um, I heard it described like this by David Guzik, actually, who um, talked about it as, there's, you know, there's like a certain vibe, you know, when you, um, when, when you read the Bible. There's like a certain feeling and, you know, of, of, of authenticity. You know, this is who, you know, God is, and this is his character. And with those other books, they, sometimes it's, it could be a historical reason. Sometimes it, it could be a direct um, contradiction, you know, to those things. Sometimes uh, you can tell there's just additions like, um, like, you know, the Catholic version of Daniel. You know, they, have, they add on, you know, a whole bunch of, no, like three chapters. And in these three chapters, you can tell just by reading it that the style changes, you know, I mean, it's interesting, but it's, it's not the same story, you know. Or um, thinking of um, Bell and the Dragon, you know. And they're, they're just, they're different. Um, it, it, it's on a different plane. And, and I think um, it's like you, you know, you know, it's just like when you, you, you um, this is what David was saying. He's like, you know, you don't necessarily have to, um, you know, see your wife to know her voice and to know her, you know? But you just know to where, even if you had somebody that had a voice that was similar to her and you're talking to her, you would know the difference. And the church just had, you know, um, being spirit-filled men and women, you know, they, they, 
these these other things were just naturally you know pushed to the side and it and what became the canon really became more of the consensus of you know yeah we just know these things and i think you know as far as the old testament when jesus was here he recognized and talked about the scriptures and didn't add to them or take away so they had a canon of scriptures and it's the same ones we have so he in my mind said, this is good, these are fine. And then I think what Pastor Mike is saying, then when they came to the New Testament to canonize what belongs, what doesn't, here's what I have to believe. Just like God used the men who wrote it and they weren't robotic, he used their hearts and their personalities and stuff, I believe he used that counsel at that time, raised them up for that purpose to recognize what was canon and what wasn't. They did not choose. They recognized already what God had done. And I think that's important to realize. So uh, those other, and if you look at all those other books, there's either contradiction or error in them. So they couldn't have been from the Lord, right? Or, and especially the ones where somebody writes it and puts somebody else's name on it. I don't think that's a God thing. Okay, all right, well, we did good, huh? We got to no one on text, so if you sent a text, sorry we didn't get to you, you should have come to church tonight, and we would have <laughs> answered your question. If you're on Facebook and you put a question, sorry we didn't get to you, because there's so many questions in here, and we just handled the people here first, so sorry, don't be mad. Uh, you can, uh, if you have a problem with it, you can text or on Facebook yell at Pastor Matt or Pastor Rob because they didn't get to your stuff. All right? Let's stand up and pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you again, Lord. What a joy. And, and thank you just for the challenge that you've given us to uh, sit and try and work through these uh, questions and uh, try and encourage hearts that are seeking you. And I do pray that, uh, God, as we get ready to leave tonight, that we would just enjoy you, walk with you, and uh, have that sweet fellowship with you. And uh, Lord, we want to again lift up our youth as they get ready for camp, that you would be with them, that you would bless them. And, and Lord, as they, uh, I know they're leaving early, early, early uh, in the morning, I pray that you would just guard and protect and, and keep them safe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.